my dad had his birthday drawn out of the lottery, which was the way that they decided who went to the war and who didn't, which for me, I don't know whether my deep sense of injustice and unfairness comes up around that, but I certainly know from the research I've done that mostly it's the people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds that ended up going to war. Um, and my dad, you know, they had a they had a um, overlaid concept toward conscription that was that if you had a skill that was of use to the army, um, they had to try and find you. And instead of you just being on the front line with a gun in your hand, they had to try and put the skill that you had to use for the army instead. Um, and so my dad was an apprentice um, fitter and turner, which is like a machine thing. They, you know, so he would he would have been able to fix any machine gun, any tank, any anything related to metal and whatever. He would have been able to fix any of that. And so he was able to defer going to to um, Vietnam based on um, he was completing that apprenticeship. He obviously wanted to do really well because he was a Queensland Apprentice of the Year for his year of doing that. Um, he had very high standards, my dad. Um, so when they put him into um, the military, they he, basically they said, oh, no, we've got no positions for that. And when I spoke to a lot of um, veterans post, you know, when I was, when I was um, speaking to them for Enemy, um, they said, yep, I was a boilermaker. I was, they had all had skills. Many of them had skills, but none of them got, those skills got used and they all just thought of themselves as machine gun fodder. And someone described it as we were just meat to them. So they just wanted warm bodies on the front line um, and just plucked young men out of their lives in Australia and trained them up and sent them into war. Um, and one of the things that, was interesting to me you know I'm not a massive natural history buff I like to hear the stories if they're told well but you know I'm not going to ever go through it certainly not military history oh my god so many people who write military history want to talk about 66 degree gun orientation um in a southwesterly yeah what even is that <laughs> what is that no well it's you know they're getting there in the specifics of the this is where we thing and that's sort of, Oh my god! I was like, "Can we? What are we talking about?" Um, <laughs> so I, I didn't realize that one of the major differences between World War One, World War Two, and the Vietnam War was, for a start, World War One and World War Two were trench warfare. So you go over there in a big group of people, and then you dig a trench, and you're in the trenches together. Um, and usually, you're dispatched with your group. Um, and you go over there, um, fight in the war. It's horrific, obviously. No, all wars are horrific. Um, and but then you come back together to with your group, and then you arrive home to parades. And um, you know, there's often there's also been back home there've been deprivations. So people have been on rations. You know, the whole of of the society that is actually feeling for you the whole time that you're over there. With the Vietnam War, the Vietnam War was a very unpopular war. Um, a lot of people were protesting about it. Um, 
what they tried to do to uh, reduce the impact of having too long a service was they tried to just dispatch individuals or really small groups over and only have them for one year at a time. Um, but the people you trained with you wouldn't often go over with. So you had this really you're on your own kind of experience um, from from what I've heard, and when you, when you then got over to Vietnam, um, it was you weren't in a trench that you were often sent on patrol into a jungle where any leaf could be a soldier. People could pop up from tunnels. Snipers could fire from trees. There was just an ever present sense of I don't know when it's going to happen. Um, and it would be this sort of sudden out of nowhere rather than, okay, we're the, the, the front line is advancing, we're doing, you know, like that sort of, um, and they were just, they were looking for you, you were looking for them, and it felt very much that, that idea of the fog of war. Um, it, it felt like that there were really specific conditions in the Vietnam War that, that seemed set up to create that hypervigilance in a very extreme way. Um, and so when my dad went over there, it was in 68 um, to 69, um, which was just after the, the Tet Offensive, which had been something where they'd, they'd um, taken control of the, the um, North Vietnamese soldiers, had taken control of um, buildings. Um, and so he, my dad arrived six weeks after that event um and then very shortly shortly after he arrived they they ended up putting down the camp that that dad was with um in the wrong location um which was right in the middle of where a whole lot of north vietnamese soldiers had a camp and so they were all in the trees watching them set up their camp for the night and then on the first night they set up camp in this location and the the, the thing was called the Battle of Coral Balmoral. Um, on the first night they, they set up the camp, out of nowhere the whole um, camp was overrun by people coming out of the darkness um, with war cries and then they had big um, guns. Um, and so that first night was a, a battle of all of these soldiers. They were completely outnumbered um, and they were trying to get the big guns and then the, the first the first night the men had to, you know, they fought them back, ended up getting the gun back. Um, but, you know, it was they described this experience, it was pouring with rain because they were so overrun by enemy, like they were so outnumbered, they ended up having to call an airstrike on their own position. So that meant bombs were dropping on them to try and get the, um, the enemy soldiers, you know, away. Um, and it was this ongoing process of um, it first night they came, the second night they came. This process happened for six weeks, every single day and every single night for six weeks, um, and it was pouring with rain. They'd have like that. They'd have pits that they would have dug. So instead of having a trench where you've dug a big thing, you basically just have like almost like a shallow grave that you lie in, and that's your protection. Um, but those pits would get filled with water because it was pouring with rain. Um, and a lot of times the, the guys that I spoke to um, about their experience would say it was either 
do I go in my pit and potentially there's a massive snake in there? Or, you know, so you're having to weigh up all of these. Um, so that was a really extreme event. So so for context, the Battle of Long Tan, which is um, can, the best known Battle of the Vietnam War, and it was a it was a brutal and awful experience. It took four hours, and this battle raged for four for six weeks. Um, so, in terms of exposure to to threat, um, it was a really most of the people that I've spoken to who were at that same battle, which my dad was at, um, have been totally and permanently incapacitated with their PTSD. Um, and it's taken ages, I think it was only a couple of years ago, that that battle has been recognised, um, mm. you know, with medals and all of the stuff that goes along. That's huge. That's, mm. It gives me, gives me goosebumps uh, just to hear the constant barrage of threat. I mean, just even that image of a snake in a pit, like do I go, go in with a potential snake or do I wait for all these other snakes to come out and kind mm. of yeah, talking about mm. soldiers here, but it's it's kind of yeah. like wow. Did you in the in the preparation for your book? Did you ever speak with anybody from the other side? Uh, any Vietnamese um, soldiers? No, because my my focus wasn't on the war. My focus was on how much can war psychologically impact somebody. Yes, um, and so uh, you know. Yeah. That, would, that would have deviated, I guess, from what I was trying to do in the book. No, I, 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 I see. It. I guess the, the initial question that comes in my mind is, were they affected in the same way that uh, veterans from Australia would have been affected, uh, given, given their own cult, culture and context and their response? I, no. yeah. I think trauma is the universal language. Thank you so much for watching this video. I hope you learned something or took away some really practical strategies to just consider in the rest of your week. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe and like and comment on this video, share your thoughts because it really does help the channel out. And what I'd like to invite you guys to do is if you're interested in people sharing papers and research or to the wider community, I've teamed up with Academia and they will be giving you a 50% discount on their premium membership where you can get access to my courses, including the stress, anxiety and trauma course that I've put together. I'll link it into the description below, but I look forward to joining you in our next video. Until then. Have an awesome day.